Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At participating McDonald's. Welcome to the Week 15 Recap Podcast. My name is Pat Corain, and in just a few moments, I'm going to be joined by everyone from the Roto World team who covered the games for us this Sunday, covering all of the context that you need to know for your fantasy football teams. Let's get to the games. The Lions defeated the Jets 20-17, to and Lawrence Jackson, they did it by going for it on fourth down and scoring a touchdown on that play. Yeah, the most unlikely hero of them all, people, Brock Wright, the tight end for the Lions, uh, caught it, converted the first. But not only did he convert the first, he ran all the way to the end zone to complete the 51-yard touchdown run and, and, and got the uh, and got the Lions to lead. Really wild play. Like, there were Jets defenders that had an opportunity to get him. It's not like he got blazing speed. But he got to the end zone, and uh, that put the Jets in the bind. Yeah, so uh, what was going on with the Lions offense before that? Because uh, outside of that 51-yard touchdown, not a ton of offense for the Lions. They only score 20 points in this game. you know, And they've been really sizzling in the Lions offense in recent weeks. Uh, they do get the win here, but not a ton of overall offense uh, out of the Lions. Yeah, I mean, so it, it was, you know, as we know, the Jets defense is very stout, one of the best defenses in the league, even without Quinn and Williams. It was pretty tough for the Lions to to uh, move the ball through the, on the ground and through the air. The thing is, as far as the passing game goes, Jared Goff never made any mistakes. He didn't, you know, he didn't force the issue. So they were always steady, but the Jets was just playing Ben don't break defense the whole game. Uh, what were your thoughts on DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams? Uh, it looked like Swift started the game from what I saw, and he had eight carries for 52 yards, five receptions for 23 yards on nine targets. So he's pretty involved, but Williams had 13 for 33 on the ground, and I believe I saw him get him getting some uh, some goal line work. Yeah, um, definitely a tough outing for Jamal Williams when he can't get it, the patented touchdowns that he usually get every week. So it was interesting to see uh, DeAndre Swift here get uh, 17 total opportunities. The interesting thing about that, nine of those came in the passing game. He had a season high nine targets, so he was much more involved than he was in week 14. When we saw him in week 13, he had 18 touches. That scale way down in week 14, and now he's back to decent volume. It just it doesn't really make any sense. You can never really predict how it's going to go for him. 
led the team in rushing, was efficient running the ball, made plays in the passing game, in uh, in the short passing game. So it's like this. If he can get this exact volume uh, going forward for the rest of the fantasy playoffs, you'll start him. The thing is, we don't know if he's going to get that. Jamal Williams, like you said, he did get <clears> – <throat> He did get his goal line touches, but he wasn't able to cash in today. And as we know, his value comes almost exclusively from touchdowns because he's not a guy who's going to pop a 60-yard touchdown run or, you know, get these long gains. And He didn't even receive a target in the passing game, so that just goes to show it. But uh, just the just the 50-50, it looks like, you know, pretty much what we've been getting from the Lions backfield all year. On the other side, obviously, Zach Wilson was playing instead of Mike White uh, because of a ribs injury to Mike White. Wilson didn't have that bad of a game here, it looks like, at least as far as the box score goes. 317 yards, two passing touchdowns, one interception. And he facilitated a decent game for Garrett Wilson, who had four receptions for 98 yards on nine targets. Uh, He did not score. Both of the passing touchdowns went to C.J. Uzama, uh, which doesn't really help anybody except C.J. Uzama. Elijah Moore had 451 on seven targets. Jeff Smith, four for 77 on five targets. So if he throws the touchdowns to the guys that are fantasy relevant, we'd probably be pretty happy with the sounding from Zach Wilson. Yeah, but you know what? There might have been some touchdowns from guys who are fantasy relevant. Notice how, you know, Garrett Wilson has four receptions, but it came on nine targets. There was a couple of misfires there. He, I would say Zach Wilson's game was pretty up and down, and you could see it in the – 18 for 35, completing 51% of the passes. He played an okay first half. It was okay. Right out in the second half on the first drive, he throws a pick, and that sets up the lines for three points there. So, um, and you could actually see, or at least the announcers, like when Zach Wilson would miss a throw, you would see Garrett Wilson and Elijah Moore react in a certain way. And at least the announcers made it look like they was visibly upset at the at Zach Wilson for missing the throw. But Zach Wilson did he came up with some big throws down late. At the end of the day, he got him in the field goal range uh, to give Greg the leg the, uh, a chance to win the game there, even though it was a long field goal. That included converting a fourth and eighteen. To Elijah Moore, he got 20 yards on the play. Uh, They had him dead to rights. He rolls out of the sack, sets his feet back, and fires it past the market, man. It really was a great play. And he had another deep ball to Garrett Wilson in the fourth quarter as well. So it was an up-and-down game. He did miss some throws, and you could tell that the coaching staff was trying to be safe with him out of the gate. But, you know, he it, it was his best game in a while. Okay. Um, what about the backfield here? Michael Carter had four for 15. Zonovan Knight, 13 rushes, but only 23 yards. Uh, and Carter had one for 16 on one target. Uh, Zonovan Knight was not targeted. I did see Carter in around the goal line. And at one, at one point, it looked like he almost scored a touchdown. Yeah, so Zonovan Knight left the game uh, in the second half after a foot or ankle injury. Uh, he left the game with 12 carries for 21 yards. So I guess he came back in and had another two yard carry, but he was hurt for uh, most of the 
the late part of the game, but nothing was really getting going. As you can see on the box score, the box score is it looked exactly how the box score looked. They could not run the ball. Uh, and, and we knew it was going to be tough for them to run up against the Lions D coming in. We knew that they would have to get it through the pass game. Um, but just nothing going in the uh, in the run game. They did get down to the goal line and try a run with Michael Carter. It was unsuccessful. And that's when the next play, they fake it and go to C.J. Uzoma on that next play for the easy touchdown. All right. Thanks, Lawrence. All right, man. The Eagles defeated the Bears 25-20. to And Kyle Dvorak, they were powered to this win partially by the most unstoppable play in the NFL, the Jalen Hurts quarterback sneak. It's so good. It is free. Everyone knows it's coming. And especially when they line up, like it literally looks like uh, like victory formation because he's flanked by two guys. <laughs> it is uh, in a way. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. That actually, oh, they really, I hope they do call it victory formation, even though obviously it's an actual play. But yeah, he's like flanked by two guys who are eventually going to push him in to or at least contribute to pushing him in. Yeah, he gets three in. It was, uh, it didn't feel like it, it was even a particularly close game. I guess the Eagles did make a pretty fair share of mistakes. Hertz had two intercep- interceptions. Sanders had uh, a bad fumble. But, like, when they were on, they looked really good in this game. Hertz didn't, like, doesn't have a high completion percentage game. Only gets 22 of 37. But he still gets to 315 because, as you pointed out, you kind of called this script exactly. Wasn't pressured a lot. He just stood back and just launched it. And and when you do that, you're not going to – it's going to show up in CPOE, right? Something like that can gauge the depth of, of a target and how difficult the passes are. This will probably look like a good game in CPOE, or at least not as bad as it does by completion, but it was a pretty strong performance from him. Obviously, the rushing touchdowns help. Interceptions, though, you know, could, could have been better. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't the best passing day. 315 yards, two interceptions, no touchdowns, but, like, he ran in three touchdowns. Yeah, and he's so. the reason they got to the goal line to get in. He had literally had one A.J. Brown long, long, long one. And Brown cut it back to the middle of the field, and I wasn't really sure he needed to do that. And he yeah, got taken well, down. I would be in better shape in a lot of things if he hadn't done that. Did you did you see that one? <laughs> yeah. Didn't he, it look he, like he cut it back into the middle? He was streaking down the sideline, and the guy who's running him down, it, it felt to me like it made it easier for him to get tackled after getting taken or after cutting it back to the middle of the field. I thought if he was running straight, he could have ran in. But Hurts or cut to the sideline, like he almost yeah, he cut yeah. the way that made it easier. Yeah, yeah, he cut the, the wrong way. He's pretty close to the sidelines. So I'm not sure how much room there was, but like, yeah, I thought he chose the worst possible outcome for his own fantasy day. He also looked tired after the play. It was like a 68 yard catch or something insane. So I, I, I get it. And they get in the end zone. It's fine. 16 targets for AJ Brown, nine for 81, uh, nine for 181, excuse me with that 68 yarders as long as of the day. Uh, and then Devontae Smith had a really nice day as well. Five for 126. Doesn't score, obviously, but eight targets. So he had half the targets of A.J. Brown, but still put up 126 yards. Pretty nice. And then basically no other receiving production, as we've talked about. Yeah. You know, this is a very, very concentrated offense. Certainly was again today. Any thoughts on Miles Sanders, 11 for 42, as a rusher, loses a fumble, Um and was targeted only once, catches the ball. That's great. Goes minus 13 yards. Not so great. Yeah, that I believe it wasn't a minus 13 ADOT catch. I believe it's because the fumble yardage counts. I would assume the negative receiving yards counts from the play where or the spot where the ball is picked up, and it did fumble backwards pretty comically almost. So, yeah, the, mm. the good 
good news. I mean, maybe you're not really listening to this for good news because you got knocked out of the playoffs because you had Sanders. But the good news is, once again, he did dominate the backfield. Kenneth Gainwell only sees three carries. Uh, you know, well, the problem is the backfield also includes Jalen Hurts. But for the running backs, mostly dominated the backfield. Kenneth Gainwell got some third down work. But other than that, it was all Sanders. Just doesn't get home. And that's kind of who he is. I mean, that's, that's a, exactly who he is. It's not kind of who he is. He hits big plays, and the times he doesn't hit a big play in a game, it's going to be rough. So, you, you know, this is uh, this is why you drafted him. You get the whole experience. Last week, so much fun. This week, not so much. On the Bears side, we had some Justin Fields runs uh, that were pretty exciting. He had a 39-yarder, 15 rushes for 95 yards, almost scored a touchdown. Uh, was one of the, the cooler plays of the day, but I guess he stepped out. Um, yeah, 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 you got it. What happened there, yeah. Yeah, it's it's iconic. Just I thought I thought he's gonna keep getting away with it because it's literally every week it feels like, and it's like been true I think for like three weeks in a row, or three games in a row maybe uh, that he has like a fifty yard rushing touchdown. And I don't think this would have quite been fifty, but long rushing touchdown. And you're like, oh well, he's good, but he can't keep being this good. He, he can. He like really just can't keep being this good. It was just scramble runs up the field. And he is just so much more athletic than pretty much anyone he steps on the field with, especially for his size. And he did step out. He would have gone in the end zone had he not stepped out. Uh, But yeah, like he can kind of just keep getting away with being the best athlete on the field. Also threw for two touchdowns here. uh, One going to Byron Pringle, one going to David Montgomery. Uh, Montgomery had three targets going three for 38 as a receiver. Also had 12 for 53 and a touchdown as a rusher. So pretty decent day for Montgomery and then nothing really usable in the bears passing game because Cole <laughs> Komet had five targets, four for 25. And he's like the only person that you would have plausibly put in your lineup other than fields or Montgomery. Yeah, it was a uh, Byron Pringle who scored. Like I literally have to like climb into my memory banks to remember who scored because they also lost Equinemia St. Brown at the start of this game concussion. So yeah, no, no, none of these guys don't play any one of them. I get like, oh, he ran a lot of routes last week. Um, it doesn't matter. Don't play him. Komet led the team in targets. You should probably go back to him for like stable low-end tight end one production. Nothing fancy, but he'll get targets. He runs a lot of routes. He'll get some targets, yeah. You know the Tell deal. Me- you, you've played Komet before. You understand what I'm <laughs> for. <laughs> Tell me about Nasimba Webster's day. Uh, so the thing is, <laughs> it took me a few seconds from the time you said that to remember that he was on this team. <laughs> well, that's the only reason I mentioned him. It's like the type of day where Nasimba Webster, who I literally did not know yeah. existed, had three targets going two for 14. So he looked short, I think, is what I could tell you about. Okay. All right. We got the short. Vilas Jones had a fumble in this game, which. Oh, he did have a fumble. This is, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the 26 year old unproductive college player may not have been the best use of draft capital for this team. May not have been. Let's move to a, a disappointing game here. The Chargers defeating the Titans 17-14. to 14, A bit of a dud of uh, what looked like it might be kind of a fun shootout type of game with the Titans you know, being very easy to pass on. But Justin Herbert, he threw for 313 yards, does not throw for a touchdown, though, and throws two interceptions. Chargers rush in two touchdowns. Um, but still, I mean, kind of, a, kind of a bit of a bummer for the Chargers here. I know. I think uh, – I mean, they both – just were unable to get anything going with the chargers because uh, Herbert didn't have a great game until the end. And they were doing a lot of the typical 
low ADOT, low explosive play type of stuff. And then on the other side, uh, you know, Derrick Henry has a good day, but it just really is hard for this team to do much like in terms of explosive plays through the air when like Chigo Konkwu is your best like big playmaker and he's like a committee tight end. They, they need Traylon Burks back to really have a shot at like opening games up to being the shootouts we want them to be. And even then they don't play shootout style, but he gives them so much more explosiveness. And Tannehill got banged up in this game. He went down with an ankle injury. I'm almost shocked he came back. The thing is this team there's nothing this team fears more than seeing Malik Willis throw the football. Uh, Ryan Tannehill gets his ankle rolled up. He has dealt with ankle injuries all year. And much like the first time he suffered the ankle injury, he actually limps back out into the game and he, he played okay going forward. It wasn't like, you know, it didn't seem to limit him too bad though. I'd imagine it does limit his mobility, but he even got in a rushing touchdown. But yeah, they, I mean, they are playing with an injured quarterback. They don't have their top receiver. They don't have any receiver depth. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of to be expected from them. Chargers feels like more of their own doing. Interesting. Yeah, Derrick Henry at least had a really nice game. Uh, maybe not as big as as we could have dreamed for it to be, <laughs> but like 21 rushes, 104 yards and a touchdown on the ground. And then the Derrick Henry of 2022 adds through the air. He had four receptions, 59 yards on four targets. He also had a goal line target stumbles down yeah. to the two bit of a disappointing uh result there yeah i, I you know i i played some played some uh big dog today and that was a, a frustrating outcome but like you said it was a good game overall uh you know he's not like the the fanciest pass catcher he like you said he caught it and he just tumbles over and watching derrick henry stumble is kind of funny because he's <laughs> so big it's like watching a giant oak tree fall it's beautiful uh but yeah he did he got most of his yards on a 30 something yard catch it was like you know kind of just a, a wheel route up the side of the field where Tannehill dumps it off to him but he can run after the catch he's he's Derek Henry and you get him in space and he can move so we've seen that pretty much consistently throughout the year I will say though they still don't use him on two minute drill stuff that was Hassan Haskins today mm. uh it, it has been Dontrell Hilliard so he's getting all of the looks he gets on first and second down like He's big enough to be a guard. Come on, play him, give him 90% snaps, but we're not getting that. We're still getting a great role, though. Yeah, it is nice that they're giving him as much receiving work as they are, because I, I agree with you. When you see him, like, get the ball in space and he gets moving, it is like, terrifying. It's terrifying. terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's just talk a little bit more about the Chargers here. Austin Eckler, 12-58 and a touchdown as a rusher. Uh, Josh Kelly had 10 for 24 and a touchdown. Um, bit annoying for Eckler fantasy managers there, but Eckler only three targets, two for 12 as a receiver. That is definitely a bit of a surprise. Yeah, I believe we saw a low uh, receiving total from him last week as well for his lofty standards, and that coincides with Mike Williams getting up to speed. So you do have to think, and Keenan Allen a few weeks ago also getting back in the lineup. You kind of do have to think that as they get these receivers, as they have gotten these receivers healthy, uh, that we'll see less of that. But he did briefly has a little more than briefly get hurt in this game. They'd never listed him as questionable. So I don't know what it was. He looked to be holding his arm. He got checked out in the tent, missed like a, the end of a drive. That was the Josh Kelly touchdown. They, they gave Josh Kelly goal line, carry goal line, carry really trying to get this guy in. And eventually he gets in. Uh, but then Eckler on the bench, hanging out with his, uh, his bat, his pals on the, on the offensive skill position bench comes back in a little bit later, but wasn't getting as many snaps. 
unclear mm. unclear what happened because they didn't list him as questionable. He ended up coming back. Looked like arm injury, though. And unclear how much that played into his role versus how much them just trying to spell their, what is he, like 5'10 or something and 190, 300 pounds. He's not a guy you get 20 touches to. But, like you said, also didn't get a ton of receiving work. So it's clear that something's going on, though he's almost certainly not missing time if he plays through the game. Any other thoughts on this Chargers receiving game? Uh, Keenan Allen did have 8 for 86 on 9 targets. Mike Williams, 4 for 67 on 8 targets. So, like, the guys we expected to were leading the way. It just wasn't as productive as we hoped. Yeah, that about sums it up. I mean, not a great day from Herbert, so it's not going to be a phenomenal day for the receivers. But the good news is that it was so predictable, like you said. I mean, they they had exactly distributed nine targets to Keenan Allen, eight to Mike Williams, a bit of a drop-off to Gerald Everett, and then you kind of get to the point where why bother with any of the rest of these guys. So at least now that we have them both healthy and in the lineup, it does seem to be as predictable as we expected. So assuming they the offense gets back on track, which – Maybe isn't a foregone. It, it's definitely not a foregone conclusion, but at least there is some optimism that happens when it does get back on track. It's going to be the guys you expect. So I keep starting Keenan and Mike. No, no real hesitation. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thank you. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. Give it to you. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Just a reminder that if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands this weekend by predicting what will happen in college football, on the PGA Tour, and in the World Cup. There's also $100,000 up for grabs by guessing the outcome between the Giants and the Commanders in our Sunday Night 7 contest. The Chiefs defeated the Texans 30-24, to but Rivers McCown, this was not the blowout that many expected. It was not. The Chiefs turned it over twice, and they committed nine penalties, and Harrison Butker missed an extra point and a field goal. But hey, it wasn't a blowout. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Travis Kelsey did what he was supposed to here. 10 receptions, 105 yards, doesn't score a touchdown, unfortunately, but otherwise a pretty nice day. And Juju Smith-Schuster also was decently reliable with 10 receptions for 88 yards. Uh, so, you know, I guess if we're like starting Chiefs, the two Chiefs receivers that we feel at all comfortable starting did come through. Smith-Schuster did lose a fumble, and neither of the top guys scored a touchdown. But I'll note that, you know, Jarek McKinnon had a big game, 8 for 70 and a touchdown on 8 targets as a receiver, 10 for 52 and a touchdown as a rusher. This was kind of billed as a potential Isaiah Pacheco game. He did have 15 rushes for 86 yards, loses a fumble, though. Uh, 
but it was kind of more the McKinnon game. So this Chiefs offense, it seems like maybe it's it's condensing to Kelsey, Smith-Schuster, and McKinnon as the guys that we can trust. So I think the way that the Texans game plan their defense for the last couple of weeks has been, hey, we're just going to drop back in zone. And if you want to check your way down the field slowly, you can. Um, the Chiefs didn't have a single pass that went over 21 yards. They had a hmm. incompletion to Valdez Scantling on, I think, the first or second drive that was about 40. But other than that, they didn't really even test it. They just kept checking it down because it kept working. Mahomes was 36 of 41. So, I mean, it's the, the only thing that happened poorly for them was that they fumbled at inopportune times, and uh, that bit them a little bit. But other than that, I mean, you know, just a machine just kept kept going. I'll note Kadarius Tony was active in this game, but only saw one target, one for five. He was also out there returning punts, I believe. So not a great sign for what his involvement is going to be in the in the coming weeks, but maybe he'll get ramp maybe he'll his work will ramp up as he returns from injury. But uh very, very kind of an ancillary role here, it looks like. Yeah, he had like five snaps, I think. I, I after the first quarter I didn't see him <clears throat> again. So that's probably a bad sign for him, yeah. Uh, on the Texans side, or let, I guess anything to mention on the backfield, Pacheco, how, how did he look as a rusher? Sure. Pacheco looked uh, fairly nice, but he blew a block on a sack in the first quarter that led to uh, a Chiefs punt, and then he also did that fumble. So he lost about a drive, maybe, a drive, a drive or two to uh, Ronald Jones in the backfield for a little bit mm. there. But after that, they, they they put him back in. They still trust him. It's just that was kind of a weird quirk of the game. Jones only had one carry for six yards, so uh, looks like some empty snaps mostly there. Um, on the other side, this was Royce Freeman in the backfield. Uh, we, we did not have Damian Pierce, who's done for the year. Uh, Rex Burkhead was playing. He had four targets. He went two for 17 as a rusher, but he did not get a carry. And then Daria Gumbawale had eight carries. For 14 yards as a rusher, that's about kind of what he does as a rusher. Uh, but he was not targeted, which is sort of odd because he's kind of a passing down guy. And then Royce Freeman was targeted one for five as a receiver, but led the way with 11 carries for 51 yards. So if you're wondering who who it was in the Texans backfield, I guess is it Freeman now with Pierce out? And who it doesn't does that matter at all? Who cares? <laughs> who, who, who actually cares? Uh, Ogunbo Wale got the start. Um, okay. But he he did not look as good as Freeman. Uh, those two pretty much rotated the rundown role while uh, Burkhead took pass downs, and I think generated more targets than anybody but Jordan Akins and Chris Moore. So I mean, like it wasn't nothing. But uh, when Davis Mills gets the extreme snap share that he did today in the Texans' quarterback platoon, which is a thing that we have to keep talking about, um, then yeah, they're going to target the running backs and the tight ends more, unlike last week. Yeah, let's talk about that quarterback platoon. Davis Mills, 12 for 24, uh, passing 121 yards, two touchdowns, though. But then Jeff Driscoll had two for four and only eight passing yards. He only rushed for eight yards on four attempts. So this was not kind of all that exciting as far as the Driscoll platoon went. <laughs> yeah, the Driscoll, Driscoll Mania did not go well today, folks. Uh, Driscoll Mania was canceled early. Uh, he had the eight-yard pass actually was his first play from scrimmage too. So basically, okay. basically they they had him out there for another. I wouldn't say like 10, 15 snaps as quarterback, 
Uh, actually, the first drive they had them both out there, which was like Davis Mills and the Wildcat. It was mm. the Texans are doing some bizarre stuff. Okay, the Texans are like Air Force right now. They're just running a college <laughs> offense. That's all you need to know. Okay, uh, Chris Moore led the way here, four for forty-two on nine targets. Uh, he's probably not going to be relevant as soon as Nico Collins or Brandon Cooks is back, but kind of a decent little fill-in uh, line here. Nothing, nothing that crazy, but semi-usable. Yeah, the volume continues to be very good. Uh, nine out of twenty-seven uh, throws go right to Chris Moore. Um, I don't know if Cooks or Nico will be back this year. That's an open question, I feel like. We finally got Cooks practicing last week, but does he want to play for this team? How does that work? I, I don't I don't really know. And then Nico hasn't practiced in two weeks, three weeks, or whatever it's been. So yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh Philip Dorsett was another fill-in guy here. He only had one target and didn't do anything. So more seems to be the more reliable of the two if you're looking for DFS kind of punts. The Texans had three wide receivers active for this game. Wow. <laughs> Like I told you, they're running some Air Force stuff. This is this is a service academy playing in other football. <laughs> All right. And with that, I think I think we'll leave it on this game, but thanks, Rivers. <laughs> the Jaguars defeated the Cowboys 40 to 34 in overtime. And this was kind of a wild game. The Jaguars won this on a pick six in overtime. The interception, though, was not really Dak Prescott's fault. He hit Noah Brown, who really should have caught the ball, uh, kind of hit him in the chest, and def- he deflected it to a Jaguars defender, and that defender was able to return it for the game-winning uh, touchdown. Dak Prescott did have another interception in this game. He overthrew Dalton Schultz, threw the ball high uh, over the middle of the field, and that was picked off. So that, that one was definitely on Prescott, but the second one was definitely on Noah Brown, but Noah Brown had a pretty productive game for fantasy, six receptions for 49 yards and two touchdowns on nine targets. Uh, Brown had a scramble drill touchdown uh, that was pretty nice throw by Dak Prescott um, and and Brown got open. Uh, So that was pretty nice play. And then he also had kind of an interesting touchdown. It was only a one yard throw from Dak Prescott, but Dak Prescott was a play action and he had, Dalton Schultz, it looked like, kind of breaking open. The defender was like within range. And I think, but if it's like one of those plays where if Prescott waited another beat, he would have had Schultz like wide open. And there wasn't really a big uh, pass rush getting to Prescott. But instead, I think he just looked back, saw Brown in the middle of the field and, and really kind of fired it in there, uh, kind of over the, like the middle, of, kind of right over where the offensive line was, like, right in the center of things, right in the mix. So it was a bit of a trickier throw, but completed it. And um, that was Brown's second touchdown of the game. CeeDee Lamb was really the engine of the offense uh, rather than Brown. He had seven catches for 127 yards on seven targets, but he didn't score. But he had a number of like 18-plus yard catches. I think he had four or five 18-plus yard catches, his longest being 39 yards. So he was really adding a lot of key plays for the Cowboys, including a defensive pass interference on a third down, which was on a a drive where the Cowboys ended up scoring a touchdown uh, as the result of that drive. So obviously Lamb, absolutely crucial for the Cowboys offense in general, and he certainly was today. Uh, Tony Pollard uh, and Ezekiel Elliott continued to split time in the 
in the backfield. Pollard had 19 carries for 75 yards. Zeke had 16 for 58. Pollard looked, I think, more explosive. He had some nice runs. He also like was running well uh, between the tackles. You know, it wasn't just like Zeke was getting all the kind of the, the you know the kind of classic uh, between the tackles grinded out work, and Pollard was getting you know kind of space touches. Like they were kind of using both uh, in the same type of role generally. And Pollard looked good when he was. Uh, he has kind of good vision and and you know good ability to run through the tackles, even though he's a smaller back. But Elliott had a really nice run here, ten yard touchdown run. He managed to kind of get his hand down and then roll over a defender with the ball stretched out towards the goal line. His elbow did not come down just his hand and uh, maintained, you know, all of his body parts off the ground as he kind of rolled over the defender. And so got in and uh, you know, I think he had a pretty decent game here as he could it overall. He looked, he looked fine. As far as the other receivers go, Michael Gallup, Complete disappearing act. Two targets, one reception for two yards. His other target was in the end zone. Um, it wasn't like that close, though. It was kind of a ball that was sort of fired over his head. I mean, it, was, it wasn't like wildly high, but it was pretty pretty fast. It was sort of a fast ball. I don't think Gallup really had much of a chance to get kind of turned around. And, and really, you know, he wasn't going to catch that ball. So he just really wasn't a huge part of the game plan. Dalton Schultz had two for 15 on four targets. Like I said earlier, he probably could have had a touchdown in this game. Uh, That was a little frustrating for his fantasy managers. Also, Peyton Hendershot, who's a rookie UDFA tight end, had uh, a touchdown in this game. A nice throw from Dak Prescott along the side of the end zone. That was a 20-yard touchdown. So, you know, another tight end did score in this game that wasn't Schultz. I think with Schultz, he's still tight end one. It's a bit of a frustrating performance, but nothing too bad. Uh, nothing really to take away for Schultz. On the Jaguars side, big, big, big day for Zay Jones. He had three touchdowns. He got wide open down the sideline for a 59-yard bomb. He was also in the back of the end zone um, or kind of more in the middle of the end zone for another touchdown. And then he, uh, his first touchdown came on a crossing route, just to, like a probably a yard or two, he caught the ball ahead of the end zone, was able to take it in. Um, you know, those those are fine plays, but the bomb was pretty nice. You know, he, he definitely burned his man um, to get open, and Trevor Lawrence hit him deep, hit him in stride. It was a really nice play overall uh, from all parties. Uh, as far as everyone else goes, I mean, Christian Kirk was involved, 6 for 92 on 10 targets. Uh, so he had actually had two more targets than Zay Jones, so had 6 for 109 and the three touchdowns on 8. Um, Evan Ingram had eight for 62 on 10 targets. And those guys were really the whole passing offense. Marvin Jones had six for six targets, two receptions, 17 yards, and one touchdown. And he had the fourth touchdown of, of Trevor Lawrence's four touchdown. The other, the other three went to Zay Jones. So it was all Jones in the receiving game, three for Zay, one for Marvin. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of a, you know, a decent day for Trevor Lawrence. He had a uh, a bad interception that went to, that was targeting Kirk, but I don't know if it was a miscommunication or what. It seemed like Kirk wasn't really expecting the pass, and it was undercut by a Cowboys defender. Um, but this was kind of comeback mode for the Jaguars. They were down uh, like 
for much of this game and managed to battle back in, you know, late in the game, um, take it to overtime. And so it wasn't the best script for Travis Etienne, you know, because he hasn't really shown that much as a receiver. He's been more of a rusher. He had 19 carries for 103 yards. Uh, and he looked, I thought he looked pretty good as a rusher. He didn't do anything in terms of long runs, only a 16 yarder is his long run of the day. But he had a, a nice burst on a few runs. Uh, he, he also wasn't completely uninvolved as a receiver. Three targets went two for 24 through the air, but not really like a true receiving back, even though he gets all the work. So decent day for ETN. They might lean on him a little bit more next week. They're playing the Jets. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's anything too much to take away from the pass game. And Trevor Lawrence looked pretty good. Um, and he's playing a very good defense. So I feel like defense adjusted. This is a pretty great day for Lawrence and very good sign given that he gets the Jets defense, which is another strong defense next week, especially against the pass. The Jets are very strong against the pass, not as strong against the run. So I think we'll probably see maybe a little bit more use for ETN going forward, but can definitely be happy with what we saw from Trevor Lawrence in this really tough matchup. But that'll do it for the Jaguars and the Cowboys. The Broncos defeated the Cardinals 24-15, to and Zach Kruger, it was a backup quarterback bowl. It was a backup quarterback bowl. It was a, it was a backup quarterback bowl that turned into the backup quarterback versus the backup to the backup quarterback bowl because Colt McCoy ended up exiting this game early in the third quarter with concussion. We got to see a little bit of Trace McSorley action, uh, which for those curious is not something you want to see on any Sunday. Uh, McSorley 7 of 15 passing for 95 yards, no touchdowns and two interceptions. Uh, the, the the more crucial interception that I threw ended up being a, a, a interception that the Broncos took down uh, like inside their five-yard line and a couple plays later, Brett Rippon was able to find Eric Tomlinson, not a made-up player, real player, tight end for the Broncos <laughs> for a three-yard touchdown. So, I mean, this game just had every little crazy thing you could probably think of from the from the quarterbacks to just, you know, star-studded players not doing well because of their situation they found themselves in and and uh, just, you know, a, a mixed bag of, of players producing at for some random reason. So it was, it was a good time all around. Latavius Murray went off in this game, which I feel like is, you know, true to the the random nature that you were just describing. 130 yards rushing, 24 carries, and a touchdown. Uh, on the preview podcast, I was saying, I think we're done talking about Latavius Murray, but he proved me wrong. He also had one reception for 12 yards on one target. Uh, but Marlon Mack also had five rushes for 37 yards and a touchdown. So this Broncos running game, which has been really bad all season, actually got going here with Rippon under center. Yeah, I, I, and I guess you would probably expect it a little bit, at least from the perspective of with Rippon under center, the Broncos aren't going to be too aggressive with their play calling. They're probably going to hand it off as much as they can. They're 168 rushing yards. I believe they said was the most rushing yards they've had in a game this year. Um, and, and Murray certainly did did well in the role that was required of him. His 24 carries is the most that he's seen this season. It was actually the first time he's gone even over 20 carries this year. So they really kind of leaned into the bell cow role with him. Uh, and, and then some of that uh, production that he had was also aided by the fact that he had carries of 21 yards, 35 yards, plus a 10-yard touchdown. So he, he had a few highly efficient plays that certainly helped uh, add to his 130-yard total 
on the day. And then Marlon Mack averaged over seven yards per carry, saw just five carries for 37 yards. But then he also had four catches for 26 yards. So, so a rather solid day for Marlon Mack, uh, who also had a touchdown and has now kind of popped up on the radar twice uh, over the last two weeks. I don't know that I'm going to be so desperate as to try to look for an excuse to stream Marlon Mack, even in the deepest of leagues. But for a player who has struggled to bounce back in any kind of significant way post-Achilles injury, uh, I I think it's nice to see Marlon Mack at least putting in some work and having some nice production to show for it. Uh, Because, you know, I mean, 2023 is probably going to be a season where he's going to be on another team next year fighting for a spot. So it's been a good couple weeks for Marlon Mack. For sure. Jerry Judy led the way here again with Cortland Sutton out again. Seven receptions for 76 yards on eight targets. Uh, Greg Dulcich, very, very quiet. Two targets here, only one for 11. Thoughts on this passing game? Uh, I mean, thoughts on the passing game is uh, what do you expect when you have Brett Rippon under center? It it wasn't a a big productive day for Rippon. He had under 200 yards on the day. I, I would say that one encouraging thing with Judy um, they'll probably be going back to Russell Wilson uh, next week. He's already cleared c- concussion protocol, but Judy has now gone for 65 or more yards in each of the last three games that he has played. And he's basically played with Rippon under center for, you know, a, a couple of times already this season. The fact that Judy is at least getting a decent number of receiving yards in games where we would expect it um, with, with Cortland Sutton out, I think is a significant um, thing worth noting, but uh, I mean, it, it, it's not a good offense. It's not an exciting offense. And with them having success on the ground, I'll actually be interested to see uh, if they if they look to take a little bit more of a run-heavy approach next week as well when they take on the Rams, even with Russell Wilson back. Oh, God. Slamming into the Rams' run defense. I, I don't <laughs> put it past them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the on the Cardinals side, so you mentioned Colt McCoy. You know he he had 21 attempts in this game, so it looks like he played a, a lot of the game. But Trace McSorley had to come in here. He had 15 attempts. Both quarterbacks threw for under 100 yards. Both threw for at least one interception. McSorley had two. Colt McCoy had one. So not a not a strong game for the uh, combined quarterbacking on the Cardinals. It was not, and McCoy, his his exit came pretty early in the third quarter, so he just kind of saw a significant number of pass attempts in that first half. Um, and as you said, nothing nothing great. Threw an interception. The interception was right to the, the defender, just made a play on it. Um, and this might be what we have to deal with with the Cardinals for the next couple of weeks. Um, we, we saw several wide receivers, including the two key wide receivers who we obviously want to talk about, and DeAndre Hopkins and Marquise Brown, both being affected by this poor output of, of McSorley and, and uh, McCoy. Hopkins caught just 7 of 11 targets. Not bad there, but for 60 yards. Um, when you have quarterbacks who can't push the ball downfield, can't keep drives alive, even star-studded receivers like Hopkins can certainly be limited. And of the 7 balls that he caught, uh, 34 of his 60 yards actually came on, on on two of those catches. So so it was really just an underwhelming day for Hopkins, who was saved by a couple of deep passes, including an 18-yard reception, really in just what was complete and total garbage time. So, so it wasn't a great day for Hopkins. It was even a worse day for Marquise Brown. He had four catches for just 19 yards on eight targets. The eight targets is certainly encouraging. That's more than, you know, on par for what we've seen of him over the last several weeks, um, you know, when he's been active. But it I mean, it, it was just not a great day for Cardinals wide receivers, for Cardinals quarterbacks. The one bright spot I will say, Trey McBride had a little bit of a moment where he looked explosive on a reception that he caught out in the open field, turned it upfield for a 29-yard reception, shook a couple of defenders, 
ran over ran over or through another defender to just create some extra yards, which is nice to see for a high-profile rookie tight end who we're hoping is going to take a leap in year two. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that with McBride because it uh, came to life a little bit here in the box score, so I wanted to yeah. – to know about that. Uh, James Conner had 16 carries for 63 yards and a touchdown. Uh, seems like he dominated snaps again. Keontae Ingram only had one carry. The only other running back to see a carry in this game. Conner also was targeted five times, three for 28. Ingram was not targeted. So, you know, it's a Trace McSorley offense, but at least Conner's getting all the work, right? He is getting all the work. I actually went back and looked at it because I thought I had read something earlier in the week about just how much Connor has been dominating that that backfield opportunity share. I went back and looked over the last three weeks, and Keontae Ingram's the only other running back who has seen a rush attempt over the last three weeks for the Cardinals, and he's seen four of them. So so James yeah. Connor quite literally has one of the best monopolies on, on any running back backfield in the NFL right now. Uh, he's not the most efficient runner under four yards per carry in this one. Uh, but if you're going to have to be in a Trace McSorley-led offense, maybe you know when they start to lean on the running game a little bit more, as long as Connor's healthy and able to do so, I think just from a buy-in perspective, he's going to have some low-end uh, RB1 upside next week against the Buccaneers. I think we can slot him in there. And then if he finds a, the end zone once, and you're probably looking at another 80 to 100-yard day total uh, with a score, which is, makes for all, all things considered a pretty nice fantasy day. Yeah, for sure. He's getting all the work, which is what we need in this situation, but – he is getting it. So, yeah. Uh, th- yeah. Uh, I appreciate it, Zach. Thank you. Yeah. No problem, Pat. Have a good one. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy ready to be a part of it let's go give it to you unlock the energy of the all-electric zdx type s order now at acura.com friday friday it's almost like whoever named friday knew it should be celebrated with free fries free fries friday at mcdonald's get a free medium fries with any purchase of a dollar or more on the mcdonald's app offer valid through 9 30 to participate in mcdonald's excludes tax Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Download the RotoWorld app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoring players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in your app store today. The Steelers defeated the Panthers 24-16. to And Denny Carter, you look like a man who just watched Mitch Trubisky play Sam Darnold. <laughs> I feel like a man who just, uh, <laughs> who just watched that. Yeah, it was um, the battle of teams... Uh, trying desperately to hide their quarterback in whatever way they could. And uh, so that resulted in, in of course, really run-heavy game scripts for both teams. Uh, they The game was over at like 3.50. Like it was it was an incredibly early uh, <laughs> wow. end time. And uh, so you have, um, 
Najee Harris uh, with 24 carries for 86 yards and a touchdown. Uh, you know, not efficient, but it's a typical Najee Harris line. Jalen Warren chipped in with 11 carries for 38 yards and his own touchdown. Warren was was very much involved uh, in the red zone, uh, even in the green zone. And uh, in, in the second half, uh, you know, Harris still got there, but I do, I do think that, uh, that, you know, Jalen Warren is definitely in the, in the team's plans going forward as more than just like a pure backup option. So that was interesting to see. And then uh, in the passing game for the Steelers, you have Deontay Johnson. Uh, he scored actual fantasy points this week, not just expected <laughs> points. You Weird. Know? Yeah. So, so you know, we're used to we're used to him piling on the expect. And, and anybody in expected points leagues knows, you know, you start Deontay Johnson every week in those leagues. But he actually scored some points this week, ninety eight yards uh, on on ten catches. He enjoyed a nice forty eight percent target share uh, on the day. Uh, and George Pickens was was next in line with with five targets. He caught two for fifty three. That included a, a long long catch down the sideline. There really nothing to talk about beyond that in the uh, pat in the uh, Pittsburgh passing game. Well, so we had been able to count on Pat Firemuth, but maybe that's just like a Kenny Pickett thing. So in order for Johnson to do anything on his ten targets, we would just have to sacrifice Pat Firemuth to the the fantasy I, gods. I guess, yeah. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I don't remember even seeing Fryermuth on the field, and uh, and yes, I did watch the game. For those wondering, uh, <laughs> yeah, seventeen routes. He ran seventeen routes on twenty three dropbacks. Um, Zach Gentry only ran eight routes. He did see a target, but yeah, Fryermuth w- was not targeted. All the short area stuff today belonged to Johnson. Interesting. Uh, on the other side of this game. Uh, DJ Moore came back to life, sort of. He had mm-hmm. five for seventy-three and a touchdown on six targets. Um, I guess we don't we don't really care about anything else in this passing game. Terrace Marshall, maybe you know, the yeah. dart throw type, three for fifty-one on three. Um, but there's there really wasn't much else besides Moore. But that's that's okay with me. Yeah, right. And you know, even in a even in a game where Carolina was playing from behind for the better part of two and a half quarters, really. They still didn't really let it loose with the passing game. Like they were still very conservative, kept it on the ground as much as possible. Uh, so, you know, I mean, DJ Moore's target share is going to look good again, but it's, it only comes out to six targets. So it's just, it's very uh, difficult to see a path to any kind of upside with this, with this offensive philosophy. I know you've written about that in your, in your walkthrough column um, for both of these teams, really. And yeah, I, you know, Terrace Marshall, he would he would be interesting. I think he'd be very interesting for fantasy if this team passed a little more. You know, not not a ton more, but a little more. Terrace Marshall beat his guy downfield on a long catch. It was the the only big play that Carolina had today. He's clearly the number two behind DJ Moore. Uh, so you know, not a fantasy option now, but certainly someone to monitor maybe next season. This backfield was super unproductive, and that's been kind of the one thing we can count on with the Panthers. Yeah. But Deontay Foreman had. 10 carries to Chuba Hubbard's four. He only had nine rushing yards to Chuba yeah. Hubbard's 10. So just a brutal day for Foreman as a rusher. And then Hubbard was the guy in the receiving game, three mm-hmm. targets, three for 57. Foreman didn't get targeted. So pretty, I mean, Foreman's been kind of carrying teams, um, not so much in like recent weeks, but yeah. certainly a very helpful piece and, and complete dud here. 
For sure. Uh, Deontay Foreman played 14 snaps at a 46 on the day. Mm. He said he saw 10 carries on 14 snaps. So I guess the Steelers knew what they were getting when he was on the field. Uh, Chuba Hubbard played 29 snaps, led the backfield by, by a long, uh, long shot. He, uh, he ran 16 routes on 28 dropbacks for Sam Darnold, saw three targets. He took one. Uh, it was kind of a broken play. Uh, Darnold rolled out, found Hubbard wide open in the flat. Hubbard, you know, made his way downfield, long game, 30 something yards. So, you know, that that was that was a uh, um most of his fantasy production on the day. You know, th- this this backfield is really hard to project from week to week because it's very sensitive to game scripts. You know, both of these guys, like Hubbard's probably not going to do anything if the Panthers get out to a lead, and Foreman's probably not going to do anything if they have to chase points. So, you know what you're what you're getting into here. Yeah, that's tough because like they just uh, played their passing down back against the Mitch Trubisky Steelers. So, you know, but the Panthers have also looked like weirdly competent at times. So it's not like you can count on Hubbard necessarily. So that's an interesting note. Let's move to the to the Bengals who defeated the Buccaneers 34 to 23. Burrow threw for four touchdowns in this game. Yeah, and and you know not a, not a lot of yards. I think you know two hundred yards. Uh, so it wasn't a uh, an all out blitz against the Bucks, but uh, it was second half domination uh, for the Bengals. Here they were down seventeen nothing. It's the first time in Tom Brady's long and storied career that he has lost a game after leading seventeen to nothing. Mm-hmm. So congratulations to Tom Brady on that one. Uh, a new low. We didn't think it could happen this year. Brady has found a new low. Um, yeah, Bucks just, you know, completely, completely a, a, like a miserable team. They just don't want to even be there anymore. Uh, and you, you could see that the Bengals basically did what they wanted to do, uh, which was, you know, pick them apart through the passing game. They got nothing going on the ground and it didn't really matter. They went really pass heavy again, really shotgun heavy as they have for the better part, I guess, two, of two months now. And, uh, and Burrow had four touchdown passes, like you said. Ties a career high. All of them were, were were short. Were short passes. I think. I think his longest touchdown pass was like ten yards today. Hmm. Uh, so they were. They all. They were all in the green zone. They tried to run it. Couldn't. Couldn't uh, cut it. And it, so it was Chase for one, uh, T Higgins for one, Tyler Boyd for one, and of course our guy Mitchell Wilcox for one. <laughs> uh, so that was the story of the day for the Bengals. Oh man! And this this set a record, right? Or Something with Burrow? Yeah, right. So Burrow becomes, I was a little surprised to hear this, the the first Bengals quarterback in history to have 30-plus passing touchdowns in back-to-back seasons. So this is something Carson wow. Palmer didn't do. You know, this is something that Andy Dalton didn't do. And, you know, he's, I, you know, Joe Burrow is probably the best, greatest Bengal of all time already. I honestly think he is. Yeah. He might be. Um, so, okay, let's talk about the Buccaneers collapse here a little bit. Uh Tom Brady gets charged with two fumbles. I know one of them was kind of on Leonard Fournette. He like yeah. didn't secure it, but because he never secured it, it goes to Brady who handed him the ball. Uh, but he did have a second fumble. I'm not. I'm not sure what that one was. And he also threw two interceptions. So was Brady kind of the culprit here for his for the collapse? Yeah, I mean Brady refused to throw it away. You know, and and he just was continually pressured in the second half. And 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 it was curious because. You know, they lost Sam Hubbard, uh, their, their Bengals' uh, excellent edge rusher. Uh, they were without uh, Erickson, their other 
very good edge rusher. So, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, well, Brady, Brady's going to have all the time he needs to operate here and pick, pick these guys apart. Didn't happen. I mean, the Bengals really, really turned up the heat. And that, it actually reminded me of something you wrote, Pat, about their use of play action, the the Bucks, right? So they actually were heavy, heavy, heavy on play action early in the game. And okay. it was it was working. It, it was working really well. And the Bengals were off off base and they they couldn't they couldn't quite like, you know, cover Mike Evans. He's he's wide open in the uh, down the sideline. Uh, Godwin finds himself wide open in the middle of the of the field. So they were really using play action effectively. And then they abandoned play action in the second half. Um, and the Bengals just swamped Brady. And, yeah, he, he fumbled on a when he was hit hit hard. Um, when the cup pocket collapsed on him, that was the second fumble. He threw two picks. One of them wasn't his fault, but you know, you know how it goes a tip ball and a linebacker caught it. So yeah, it's a really, really just a bleak situation, you know, and in this bleak situation, Mike Evans does, does okay here. Uh, um, but, uh, it's actually, it's actually a Russell Gage playing as the number three for Julio Jones, who, who missed this game. Uh, Russell Gage, who leads the team with 12 targets, catches two touchdowns uh, from from Brady. So yeah, who, we 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 were not playing Russell Gage, and yet he went off. It's uh, curious, and perhaps uh, have ruined my day with some uh, some best ball teams not advancing that I thought we are would we are here in garbage yeah. time. Yeah, garbage time. Russell Gage touchdowns are always great. We always love yeah those. you you love those. I will say Russell Gage, if you're listening, the one one thing I would suggest. Don't don't just run into a defender every time. Like like once in a while, like try to avoid them. You know, like when they're coming, you know, you step to the side, or maybe even just get down. But like this guy takes this guy takes a whack on every single reception, and then he's like he's like splayed out on the ground. He looks like RG three back when RG three used to get knocked down every uh, every every third play. Yeah, man, Russell Gage, man, you're you're you you really got to work on avoiding contact. So has he been hanging out with Leonard Fournette too much? You think? Yeah, right. Yeah, Lenny Lenny's not avoiding contact too too much uh, either. And yeah, this this run game for the Bucks is just atrocious. I know, I know you know this. They're like lowest EPA per rush, and that neither of these guys. And I, I I don't know if it's the offensive line, if it's the play calling, whatever. But Rashad White creates nothing after after contact. Leonard Fournette creates nothing after contact. So there's just there's just not much to this. They really, and they're playing the Cardinals next week, right? And the Cardinals are the ultimate pass funnel. Mm-hmm. You you would think that they would just lean hard into the pass, but we've we've been thinking that for weeks now, and it's not happening. Yeah, and it's tough too because uh both of these guys can be used as receivers, and it's not like we're really consistent with which guy's getting more work there. Maybe this is starting to move in Fournette's direction a little bit. Fournette had four targets, four for 30. White, just two targets, one for five. Yeah. If like one of these guys had all of the receiving work, then you know maybe we could talk ourselves into a narrative where they're going to be passing a ton against the Cardinals, but it's just so split up. It's, it's, yeah. It doesn't feel like we can trust it. No, and and Fournette, uh, you know, I'm looking at the route data right now. Uh, you know, Fournette had 25 pass routes on 46 dropbacks. Uh, White only had 15 uh, hmm. routes and was only targeted twice to four targets for Lenny. So it's it's uh, well, you know, what White's pass game involvement has been so up and down and unpredictable when when Fournette is is uh, healthy and involved. 
uh, that I just I feel like it makes Rashad White just a really shaky flex play. Um, I have him in a couple leagues, and I just couldn't I couldn't play him. I just couldn't find a reason to think, oh yes, like I'm certain he's going to be involved in this aspect of the game because Fournette's still there, like you know, like it or not, and we don't like it. No, we don't. <laughs> On the other side, just to talk about the backfield, you mentioned they couldn't really run the ball. They're kind of having to throw it in the green zone. Uh, Samaji Pirine had seven for 24. Joe Mixon, yeah. 11 for 21. I saw Pirine get a green zone carry. Yes. And this is coming after a week where, you know, Joe Mixon returned from injury last week, but it was kind of a split backfield in terms of the snap share. I'm assuming uh, we're going to see somewhat uh, something similar again this week in terms of the snap counts. Yeah, uh, and the, the work was pretty split up here. So, what are your thoughts on the backfield? Right, right. So th- that that really solid workload that Mixon had for like three or four weeks that uh, that's that's gone as of this moment. He, he played forty two of sixty six snaps uh, for the Bengals. Uh, Samaj P Ryan played twenty five snaps. Uh, P Ryan ran fourteen routes to twenty routes for Mixon. So a pretty a fairly even split in route running. And uh, Mixon saw six targets to only one target for P Ryan. So obviously. That that is good for Mixon, and uh, but but yeah, the the whole that whole thing where Mixon's running all the routes, and seeing all the backfield targets, uh, that's that's not happening now. And that and that P Ryan Green Zone touch, I think should be should be concerning moving forward for Mixon. Now, if you have Mixon and you get through this week in your playoffs, you know you're playing them again next week against New England. Um, but you're not feeling fantastic about his ceiling, uh, his his path his path to a ceiling. Yeah, for sure. And I don't know, like, I imagine if you have, like, if you have, like, a Ramondre Stevenson or something, I think you're playing him over Mixon. Does that feel right? Oh, for sure. Especially in PPR, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that that that's probably around where the line is or maybe even a little bit above where the line is. But, yeah. Um, all right, Denny Carter. Appreciate it. Thank you. The Saints defeated the Falcons 21-18. to Patrick Darty, Desmond Ritter, now 0-1 as a starter. Not sure I would have remembered who won this game if you hadn't said it, but uh, <laughs> pretty easy to remember after you said it because Desmond Ritter just was not good in his NFL debut. And you don't want to like pile on a rookie making his first career start, but he had 27 attempts and under 100 yards passing. I mean, 3.7 yards per attempt. The box score shows that he had zero turnovers, but – He was just like begging to throw a pick all afternoon. He had one that was picked off and then replay reviewed that the defender somehow didn't get both feet in bounds. He made an amazing play, amazing defensive play, and just didn't get both feet in bounds. He threw one at the goal line that honestly should have been a 100-yard pick six and was just Hmm. really, really lucky that it was not housed. And uh, I mean, obviously, the Falcons seem like they're playing like in terror of him committing a turnover. And, but it was like the worst of both worlds where they were playing conservative, but then even playing conservative, he kept almost committing the turnover and didn't, I didn't get much in the way of a dual threat, 38 yards rushing, but 18 of that came on the final play of the game. Kind of one of those weird lateral plays, you know, and instead of lateraling it, he just ran out of bounds. (laughs) It was a huge, huge boneheaded rookie mistake. Yeah, so, I mean, we kind of knew that they were going to play conservatively because they've played extremely conservatively all season. I'm actually excited. This is how sick I am. I'm, like, excited to see this 
pass rate of our expected because I'm pretty sure it's gonna be like minus 35% or something outrageously <laughs> low. Uh, As you look here, and maybe I'm wrong, but 26 attempts. I mean, some, sometimes we were getting 18 attempts from Mariota, but we got uh, Tyler Algier here, 17 rushes. Cordell Patterson had 14 rushes. Patterson was okay. He had a touchdown, 52 yards, 3.7 yards per carry. Algier was pretty good, 139 rushing yards, 8.2 yards per carry, also scores a touchdown. Patterson had three targets, caught one for zero yards. Algier had one target, caught one for negative three. So all the backfield production came on the ground, but there was there was a lot of carries, and there was actually a lot of yards here. Yeah, there was a lot of carries, and it's just a weird – you mentioned Cordero Patterson, where he's he keeps getting like 10 to 15 carries, but just is not involved as a pass catcher whatsoever – anymore. I mean, he's been off injured reserve for six games and he has eight catches in that time span. Wow. And Tyler Algier, so as poorly as Desmond was playing, yeah, it was not torpedoing the Falcons running game at all. At 239 yards rushing, 139 of those were Tyler Algiers. He had never had a hundred yard game on the ground. And it wasn't like cheap yardage. Like he he was he was running angry, like grinding out extra yards, breaking tackles. So it was a pretty impressive day from Tyler Algier. I mean, it's still the only only 17 carries. Like, how excited can we really get about, you know, like 15 carries in the Atlanta Falcons offense? And there's only one good thing you can say about Desmond Ritter, where he got the memo to throw to Drake London. Uh, seven catches and 11 targets. London has actually gone over 10 targets in back-to-back games for the first time all season. He's cleared okay. 70 yards receiving in back-to-back games for the first time since weeks one and two. I mean, again, the guy generates 100 passing yards on 26 attempts. It's not exactly like we can be super excited about Drake London in week 16 because we kind of know the bottom can just fall out. But he certainly – I mean, we, we had him ranked as a wide receiver three this week, and he, he certainly kind of reestablished at least his low-end wide receiver three bona fides. Yeah, I think, you know <sighs> – it's tough because you're getting this massive target share, but it's we know that the the denominator is never going to be high, and yes. so he's not really a high floor option. But he is sort of a floor play because the ceiling's also in question in this offense. So it's it's just sort of a yeah, it is weird he, where he's like a floor play, but like you said the floor is like not even that high, and like he's a, yeah, he's a floor play with a bad floor. Yeah, and like the ceiling is just like basically unattainable. Um, yeah. Algier was a little more interesting. Caleb Huntley suffered what appears to be a season-ending ankle injury. Not that he'd been a huge part of the backfield, but those are some carries that are going to go away. And yeah, they weren't running much with Desmond Ritter. Uh, so Al- Algier was like the positive takeaway because uh, n- nothing at all in this game that's like, oh, yeah, they're going to open it up more passing next week. Uh, it might be yeah. the exact opposite. On the Saints side um, was – maybe thinking this could be an Alvin Kamara workhorse game. And it looks like it basically was. I mean, Kamara had 21 carries for 91 yards. Johnson had four for 12. David Johnson, that is, uh, because Mark Ingram is out. Uh, But he lost a fumble. David Johnson did. The issue, I guess, is that Kamara only had two targets. He went two for 13. This is a game where Andy Dalton only attempted 17 passes. Taysom Hill had another two. So there wasn't a ton of, like, receiving volume to be had. But still kind of disappointing you know, given that it's Camara, but I guess, I mean, I would imagine he must have played the vast majority of snaps. He did, yeah, because like you said, he no longer has a viable backup. Right? I mean, he didn't have a viable backup before with Mark Ingram, but they treated him like a viable backup. David Johnson, I mean, four carries. He loses a fumble inside the Falcons' twenty-yard line. 
you know, just no juice left, no steam left. It's a shame for a player who was really good for a year or two, but, you know, entered the league old and it's yeah. just now very, very old. And so, yeah, the, the, the I, people were talking about the, this kind of Kamara game script developing, you being one of them. And it did the, the 21 carries 91 yards were both his most since week five, only the second time all year, he'd even reached 20 carries, but just like that troubling lack of explosive plays, like you said, it, only two catches only has four catches over the past two games has not had a rush over 20 yards since week six. I think he's had maybe only one rush wow. over 20 yards all season. His long gain against the Falcons was 13. Um, so he's just, I don't know if, if he's not getting sprung or if he just, when he gets sprung, he doesn't have that breakaway speed and explosiveness anymore. But it, it was frustrating because I was surprised to see that he had 91 yards because like every time he ran, he was like three yards, four yards. The box score was actually a little better than I was expecting at the end of the game, uh, but just more disappointing production. But yeah, there's, there is no viable number two back on this roster. So it does stand to reason that he might be more like that 18 to 20 carry range for the rest of the year. And they do get a, a very weak Browns defense for week 16. What were your thoughts on the passing game? Cause I saw Rahid Rahid Shahid Rashid Rashid Shahid Rashid Shahid. It is a bit of a mouthful. Rashid Shahid. I should know how to pronounce it because he makes big plays seemingly every week. A lot uh, 68 of yard touchdown here. Longest play of the day for the Saints, obviously. Their longest passing play of the entire season. He somehow led the team in receiving each of the past two weeks. He's bookended the, the Saints by by leading them in receiving. That's 75 and 95 yards. So not like huge totals, but I mean not joker totals for sure. The targets, he hasn't seen more than four targets all year, but, I mean, just a shocking amount of big plays. His long gains, here is long gains for the season. 68 today, he had a 40-yard gain, then in week 13, a 35, a 30-yarder, a 53-yarder. Just so many big plays. I talk about old rookie, he's, he's 24 years old. He is old for a rookie, but it just seemed like kind of those guys everyone slept on. He entered the league without an official 40. Like, no one ever even bothered to time him in the 40. And what? Yeah, that was something that somehow came up. That was something that somehow came up today, either on Twitter or on the game broadcast. Uh, looked like the fastest guy on the field, for sure. His, his 68-yard touchdown, which was a deep ball, by the way, that Taysom Hill almost didn't get there. He's so weak-armed. But he got it there. He's a tight end, to be fair. Yeah, it's true. It's <laughs> true. Uh, he got it there, and then it was just clear the second she caught it, like, oh, yeah, no one's going to even come close to catching this guy. And who knows what his career ceiling is because of his weird profile of being so old for a rookie, uh, you know, unsustainable big play production, unlimited targets, but has definitely earned a 2023 role in this offense. Thoughts on Chris Olave here, three for 53 on four targets. I mean, I, I already mentioned that there weren't many passing attempts here, so four no. targets actually isn't as bad as it seems. But it's still not great. Uh, yeah, 17 attempts, like you said, for Andy Dalton. And uh, the 53 yards, I believe, I'm trying to find the stat here. Uh, 53 yards were as fewest in four weeks, but the four targets were as fewest since the opener. And, you know, hmm. we, we kind of thought this profile as an Alave game and to yep. see the volume being so lacking and now to see Rashid Sahid, you know, kind of getting like the gadget player usage is pretty frustrating. I mean, not to mention Taysom Hill getting gadget player usage and they, they're just not 
they're not letting Andy Dalton. I mean, they're just not. He's either they're not letting him force the issue down the field, or he has no interest in forcing down the field. Maybe both. both. I went back to Jameis Winston's three starts. I believe all three starts he had at least one forty-yard completion, and that, oh, that has not been Andy Dalton's bag, uh, to put it mildly. No, it never has been. Uh, astronaut me there. On, <laughs> yeah, true, on true. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's move to the Raiders who defeated the Patriots 30 to 24. Or should we say the Raiders, uh, the Patriots defeated the Patriots in this game man, because oh Jacoby Myers defeated the Patriots. Uh, this is a game that was supposed to go to overtime, and Ramondre Stevenson got a little cute, tossed it back to Jacoby Myers, who then got extremely cute. Yes. Things, <laughs> it was the classic things escalated quickly, or like you said, 24 24. Pats are near midfield. They just hand it off to Ramondre Stevenson, uh, you know, not throwing a Hail Mary, not trying to force the issue. He rips off a pretty big run, like a 20 or 30-yard run. He was basically at the sideline. And, yeah, he he overthought it. He lateraled it to Jacoby Myers. But, I mean, Jacoby Myers was, like, right by him. He was also by the sideline. Like It was like a semi-defensible move. By yeah, him. it was semi-defensible. But, like, it wasn't a great decision. Jacoby Myers should have just cut uh, the Patriots' losses and gone, went down. Uh, instead, he backpedaled 20 yards and then threw the ball to Mac Jones, who was ISO'd 101 with Chandler Jones, and who then <laughs> intercepted the ball. It's technically a fumble. Quite literally, it was like he was like faced up with Mac Jones, and Mac like melted like quicksand, like trying to tackle him. And then that was well, that. he stiff armed him to the ground. It was one of the most brutal plays for Mac yeah, Jones. It I was mean. yeah. I mean Mac Jones who was a, yet again like barely an exaggeration, like screaming the entire game, just angry about everything. Had then like the most embarrassing ending to the game. Again, it wasn't Mac's fault. Uh, he got put. His receiver faced him up one on one on one with Chandler Jones. Uh, not, not not really what you're looking for if you're a quarterback. Yeah, it was a tough tough scene for the whole Patriots team there. Uh, and yeah, so Mac Jones was you know a couple weeks ago very angry about everything. The fact that they were kind of doing it was all quick game stuff. They weren't throwing down field, even though they were throwing. They were they weren't throwing down field. It seems. Like maybe that was happening again this week, or maybe they just weren't even throwing as much because Ramondre Stevenson led the way here, 19 rushes, 172 yards on the ground, and he also had a touchdown. Um, they only had 112 passing yards, though. Yeah. So pretty. I mean, you you normally don't see this even on strong rushing days where the you know they're rushing for like 60 more yards than they're passing no. the ball for. I have a few Ramondre facts to get to in a second, but yeah, Mac. Again, it's not even just that they're not opening it up down the field. It's like the whole operation is so disjointed and like just like the opposite of a well-oiled machine or like they can't get the play calls in. They had one three-play sequence at the goal line where they take two timeouts in the first half, you know, delay of games, like just can't get the plays in fast. He, so Mac Jones had no touchdowns. He did have a touchdown that he threw to Jacoby Myers but it was called back because the Patriots called a timeout at the last second because they thought they hadn't gotten the play in. And Matt Patricia, it's just like, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just like he is what he is. He's a defensive guy trying to call plays. He's not fast enough. <laughs> They're going so slow. And Mac Jones has seriously become like the joker about it. Like he is so frustrated that they cannot get the plays into him faster. And like it's this – Kudos to Mac Jones for lasting this long, frankly. I know. It's like this horrible circle too where like – Seems like like they don't have trust in him. 
to throw down the field, but he has clearly no trust whatsoever in Matt Patricia's like game planning and approach, and it's just creating this completely toxic brew. I mean, it's wild. Well, you also have Joe Judge in the mix, so he'll probably yeah. help out. I mean, Matt Jones, and I'm kidding. Like, every time the Fox camera showed him, like, he was just angry, like, screaming. If so, man. And, like, you know, even Tom Brady, like, if Tom Brady yelled at Bill Belichick, that would be like, whoa, like, uh, yikes. <laughs> and Matt Jones was, like, <laughs> screaming at the sideline the entire game. So, how did Ramondre look? Because, I mean, obviously, he ran very efficiently here, 9.1 yards per carry, long run of 34 yards, but. I like when I wrote up the walkthrough, I was like, ah, it's a bummer. Ramondre's not going to play. I know. Like, he looked like a little stiff. Like, he didn't seem to have as much like lateral explosion as usual. But I mean, the 172 yards rushing, uh, one of the highest totals by any player all season, a new career high for Ramondre Stevenson by 11. Uh, it seemed like the Patriots didn't know what to expect because Kevin Harris actually technically started. Ramondre hmm. Stevenson wasn't even out there on the opening series. Then he did emerge on the second series. Yeah. He was only 16 or 17 carries, but he proved his health kind of early and he kept, I, I didn't see like, it seemed like the lateral explosion was maybe a little lacking, but it was a day where he kept like getting into like tight spaces in a scrum and then just emerging. He got to do like a lot of like straight line running. He kept like coming out of really, really tight spaces uh, with big gains. And he's probably not particularly close to hundred percent health, uh, but it was, it was more than effective. And so Kevin Harris started, but then ended up like the clear number three back. Pierre Strong probably played about 25% of the snaps, had seven touch. I have no idea why they started Kevin Harris. It's kind of like uh, the thing a few weeks ago where the Rams started John Walford. Like I have no idea like why they started Kevin Harris, but they just did for some reason. Uh, and Ramondre seemed to avoid setbacks. And yeah, we can we can have a lot more faith in him for week 16. It's probably Matt Patricia's idea to start Kevin Harris. I mean, it had to be. It's I, I, it, it was like, man, it's gonna be one of those days, huh? Because Ramondre was just like standing there on the sideline for the. I think they cut they cut to him. He's just standing there, like, oh boy. Because I did start. I pivoted him in in several season long leagues at the end. Like whatever, we gotta go down with the Ramondre ship. Yeah. And then I thought we would indeed be going down with the Ramondre ship. So. Jacoby Myers, we talked about his ridiculous play at the end. Uh, one of the strangest plays of the entire NFL season. Um, I mean, honestly, you could put like yakety sacks under. Yeah, like, one of the strangest plays in NFL history, like easily. <laughs> like, it really, so, really was. Uh, um, but he did lead the Patriots in receiving. Two for 47 on six targets. There wasn't really anything in this Patriots receiving game. And, uh, you know, we talked about Mac Jones screaming everything. But I guess we should probably underline the fact that this Raiders defense is not one that you really run the ball on. It's one that you pass the ball yes. on. They have a crazy bad pass defense. They do. I think maybe the numbers will switch now and it won't look like the worst in the league. But I thought coming in, the Raiders actually look like the worst pass defense in the entire league to me. And, you know, the Bears and the and the Jaguars and, you know, a number of teams have very bad pass defenses this year. But the Raiders have been horrible. Yeah, Patrick, some of us may have used that fact as uh, I may have started Mac Jones over Andy Dalton. I mean, sure, I was down spectacularly bad, and there was no real right answer there. But I really yeah, didn't I take... feel bad about that. I thought you were going to say you played him in DFS. <laughs> I, really, I really did not think 112 yards on 31 attempts was in the range of outcomes for Mac Jones against the off. But, I mean, it's like, who are the weapons? Because Jacoby Myers, he's like barely – I think he's only cleared – a very a very me stat, but uh, I, th- I think his five game high for yards is fifty two. 
the production has been, he's been pretty inefficient lately. He's been playing through like a head injury. It's just like, who are the weapons? And the, like, yeah, like Nelson Aguilar, classic Nelson Aguilar had a 32 yard catch, a great catch down the left sideline. And then of course, replay reveals he didn't quite complete the process. And it's week 15. And it's like, who has a set role in this offense? They're still not like the red zone finisher. They're still not like the true deep threats. Devontae Parker's in and out of the lineup so much. Even Jacoby Myers isn't like posting like prodigious like target counts from the slot or anything. It's just like nothing is settled. No one knows their role. No one even knows like what the approach should be. It's just a shambolic, awful operation. Yeah, I think the only guy in this whole offense is Ramondre. Yes. Moving to the Raiders side, you mentioned, you know, the the not being able to get the foot inbounds. That didn't stop Keelan Cole from scoring a touchdown. No. What was – I don't understand the deal with this. Uh, I mean, it was close. but well, there describe was a, it. Describe it for people. There was, so, yeah, it's the end of the game. There's 30 seconds left. The Raiders are down 24-17. Uh, Keelan Cole mosses uh, meme star Marcus Jones in the end zone. You know, the corner – the rookie corner who is getting some touches on offense for the Patriots, including two goal line touch – or two goal line snaps against the Raiders – uh, he gets mossed by Keelan Jones with 30 seconds left in the end zone. Keelan Cole, excuse me. Uh, but, like, he clearly did not get two feet inbounds. They called it a touchdown on the like field. Obviously. Yeah, there was, like, a few re- replays where it looked like maybe he got his heel in first. But there was, like, one or two, I thought, pretty definitive angles where his toes. They were a little further away than we normally get. Yeah, yeah. I don't know like... where the pylon view was, but um... – but you could did the zoom? Did they have zoom on? They this didn't thing? do the <laughs> EE zoom. That might only be available on NBC Sunday Night Football. Oh, look at that! Um, but like on an NBC game. Yeah, it seemed like there were two angles where it was definitive that his foot was on the line, and it was stu- so. I mean, the Patriots uh, had a lot go against them. Like so, again, we talk about how poorly they played. They came back from seventeen to three deficit and were winning, and probably honestly should have won. It was a really, really, really bad call from the NFL. Darren Waller came to life in this game. Uh, well, he was active, first of all, but he also had three targets, three receptions, 48 yards, and a touchdown. Not the biggest game, but Keelan Cole with that fake touchdown actually led the Raiders with 50 yards. And so you didn't really have much going uh, for the Raiders in the, you know, Devontae Adams here, four for 28 on nine targets. Like they just didn't have it going through the air, which wasn't as surprising, right? This Patriots defense is actually quite good at defending the pass. So that makes some sense, but I think it also makes this Darren Waller game a little more interesting. Um, you know, maybe he's going to be someone who helps people in the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So yeah, Derek Carr didn't have a great game, but it was only a second three touchdown game of the entire season. And Darren Waller kind of had a successful return, but the four targets were actually his fewest in six games with Josh McDaniels just still like not really in the rhythm of the offense. It seems he was on his touchdown, a really nice play where he broke free down the seam and looked kind of like the old explosive Darren Waller that we know, but now it's so crazy. I mean, Mac Hollins, Hunter Renfro and Darren Waller both come back and Mac Hollins again, he got eight targets for the sixth time this season and just crazy stuff. He gets a touchdown. There's another play where he badly misjudged a downfield target that should have been a really long gain committed a really egregious drop with two minutes left. But Derek Carr and Josh McDaniels just seem so committed to Mac Hollins. Um, but Darren Waller, he did show enough, I think, to with how bad tight end is right now. He will be like in that tight end, I'd say like 11 to 15 range in week 16. Like, well, he'll be in the tight end one mix. Yeah, I think so. Um, 
All right, Josh Jacobs here. 22 carries, 93 yards, doesn't score. Two receptions for 17 yards on three targets, doesn't score through the air either. Any takeaways here? I mean, does Amir White had one carry? Feels like kind of just a a bummer of a day for the Raiders. Yeah, just a bummer for fantasy managers that he didn't get the old tutter. Because sixth straight game over 100 yards from scrimmage, eighth straight game with at least 20 touches. The commitment remains insane. He was listed with two different injuries, but he looked like he was moving pretty well side to side. And hopefully the lack of a touchdown did not get you eliminated from the fantasy playoffs because the usage is just going to remain insane in week 16. All right. Thanks, Pat. My pleasure as always. All right. That'll do it for the week 15 recap podcast. Make sure to check out all of our great content on rotoworld.com. Make sure to check out all the great content on this podcast feed as well. And we will be back here next Sunday night for the week 16 recap podcast. See you then. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. Extra, give it to you. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. That, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Extra, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Friday. Friday. It's almost like whoever named Friday knew it should be celebrated with free fries. Free fries Friday at McDonald's. Get a free medium fries with any purchase of a dollar or more on the McDonald's app. Offer valid through 930 to participate in McDonald's excludes tax.